Well, this is, as we know, Thanksgiving week. So much fun because I don't know how you define the holidays, but I define them as when Santa shows up at the Macy's Day Parade. It's time for Christmas, and from then until January 1st, it's Christmas. I mean, it's holidays. We're just enjoying this magnificent message we have to share. But it begins with this first day when we acknowledge as a nation our thanksgiving to God. We are a nation that was founded upon principles that believe God is at work in the lives not only of individuals, but of very nations. And two of the things that we hold dear in terms of the freedoms that we believe come from God, the two of them are the right to defend ourselves, and we know that as the Second Amendment, and freedom of religion, that we get to gather as we would. Yesterday, it was just an interesting morning. I, as I, started, I mentioned earlier about the way God surprises us. Another couple of things I had no idea might happen here this year, the privileges of ministry we would have. But yesterday morning, that end of the church, there was a, there was a permit to carry class, very, very well done. And in that, we're, of course, concerned about our freedom to defend ourselves, the right to bear arms. And then right next to it was Child Evangelism Fellowship doing a training. And we had the freedom of religion to gather and to worship God and to train people according to the, our own conscience. It was a very American thing that was happening back there, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. Well, as we now have, take this privilege that is ours to gather to freely worship God as we see fit, and it has been wonderful. We're going to wrap up something we've, we started literally, whether you're aware of it or not, in August of 2014. And today is the summation of all that we have done since August of 2014. And we're going to take a look, and I want to give you, because some of you, we want to get those notes filled in, and tell you right up front, in case I forget to make it clear later, first of all, that God's redemption story gives us insight into our salvation. God's redemption story gives us insight into our salvation. We'll look at that. And the next thing I want us to note is God's redemption story gives us insight into our nation. Our nation. So with those two things in mind, I'd like to just kind of review where we've been for the last what, 15, 16 months, if you'll allow me. I hope some of it is uh, refreshing to you. We began when we dedicated this pulpit made by John Williams, our former chairman, and uh, we wanted to change some things. That last pulpit was just kind of blocked everything off, and so uh, entirely as a gift to the church, he made, he made this pulpit, and we dedicated it in early August of 2014. And we said it has a singular purpose there's one reason this pulpit is here to which it has been sanctified when we dedicate it, and that is this, the proclamation of the Word of God. That's the point of this pulpit, and that's why it is here. So we began there, and having begun there, we said, all right, if we're that, we're going to be that determined about what the purpose of this pulpit is, what's this all about? So we looked for a while at how Scripture reveals itself to us as the Word of God. 
we, we considered how Scripture teaches that, that this is inspired, that men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit, literally is what the original language says, as they recorded the words for us that have now been handed down to us literally through the millennium, revealed by God. And in the fact that we can have confidence that this is the Word of God, and there's many things that we could look at relative to that. One of the things that we just kind of touched on last week, if you picked up on it, one of the things that we touched on was at the very beginning of this book, we come across this thing in the Garden of Eden called the Tree of Life. Genesis chapter 2. Right there, the Tree of Life. And in Genesis chapter, or in Revelation Chapter 22, it returns. It's been off the scene for all those centuries, for the millennia of time. It hasn't been around. Man hasn't had access to it. Now, the reason I point that out is it just it ties in that this is the most amazing thing you will ever read because it is God's story, one continuing story. And what becomes so fascinating, if you take the time to look and consider and think what sets it apart, right? Written by, you guys know this, it's review, 40-plus authors on three different continents in three different languages. These guys were from all various walks of life, some highly educated and, and raised in, in rich circumstances and some poor and raised in very, uh, very poor circumstances, over the span of 1,500 years. 15 centuries it took to write this book, which tells one story from beginning to end. Do you know anything that compares? Is there anything close? Can you find anything out there in literature that begins to touch this? That is why this pulpit is dedicated to the proclamation of this unique book. Because God has revealed himself here as he has nowhere else. So we celebrate that and we're committed to it. And as we then, in recognizing that, as we then begin to open it up and seek to understand it, we find out some things. That the word reveals the magnificence of God. And I've been enjoying our worship this morning because the magnificence of God has been exalted. And we had the privilege of entering into that. But what we saw very clearly from Scripture is that the Word reveals God in His magnificence, and what we learn is that God exists in a triunity. Jeff, could we have that picture, please? He's one essence existing in three persons, and we decided, I decided, to try and teach this truth because it's very hard to grasp with a cube now, you might say, why did you choose a cube, Gare? I'll refresh you because some have used ice and an egg and different things where you can find three different forms in one thing. The problem with an ice or with an egg illustration is the essence of each separate element is not the same. In the egg, the essence of the oak is different than the essence of the white, which is different than the essence of the shell. But in this cube, and also, I think there's a biblical reason for this. You might remember, we're refreshing that the temple, as it was built in Jerusalem, and the Holy of Holies, as well as, and we saw this in the last couple of weeks, we just didn't take time to develop it, the new Jerusalem comes down from the sky, are both 
there to present God's presence, and both are in the shape of a cube. Why a cube? You've got to ask yourself, why a cube? You know, pagan religions, they worship with a pyramid, and God keeps showing up in a cube. I believe it is quite possible. He's trying to say, you need to understand that a cube illustrates who I am and my triunity. See, so if you were to look at this from the top down, if you were, and, and you say, well, let's just call that the Father, okay? We look at it from the top down. We see the Father. As we look into the cube, we see the same essence as if we look from the side and let's say we'll call this, this side, we'll call it the sun. And the sun, you look into the side, you're seeing the same essence as if you look from the bottom, and we'll call that the Holy Spirit. And you look up into that cube from the bottom, and you got the Holy Spirit, okay? And no matter where you're looking from, you're seeing the same essence, but what is different? The relationship of each to the other. So there's three different things in different relationship. The side is not the top. The side is not the bottom. But as you then allow it, as you look into that and you explore it, as you go deeper into it, you realize it's all of the same essence. So it's a relational thing that this can reveal. Three in one. Also, you'll notice that however you want to, whatever you want to look at and say, I'm looking at this part of the cube, you can only see three sides of the cube at any one time. And so there are things that we do see and we do understand about who God is the Father and who the Son is and who the Spirit is, and we can see those things. But there are also things that we will never understand. They're much too deep for us. They're mysteries beyond our comprehension. Remember the names of Christ when he comes on the white horse and he's going to reign for the thousand years in the millennial kingdom? One of the names was he has a name written which no man knew. I believe it's because there's mysteries that are so deep and so beyond our comprehension. In the person of Jesus Christ, we will never grasp them. They will always be hidden to us. So we used a cube to help remind us or perhaps instruct us that God exists in his magnificence as a triune being. Three individual separate persons with one singular essence. Amazing. Another thing that we did while we were going through there, we tried to touch a little bit as we saw God revealing himself in scriptures. We tried to touch when we saw names of significance that would come up. And you will recall that as Moses was going to be asked to lead the people out of Israel, you know the story. And he said to God at the burning bush, who shall I say is sending me? Because they're going to ask when I go there, say, guys, you've got to follow me on in the desert. They're going to be like, what? You haven't been around here for 40 years. Why should we follow you? They're going to say, who, who, who's, who's behind all of this? Who sent you to ask us to come? And you remember God's answer, right? Tell them, I am Jehovah, the eternal Self-existent one, the one who always has been, is, and always will be. The only one who lays claim to that reality of his being, the great Jehovah, the one who is. Let me remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the big thing behind why they put him to death. Some, you will, you need to know this, friends. In particular, I'm thinking of you younger people. There are going to be some of your, your unknowing peers who will tell you, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. 
Don't buy that. That's absolutely wrong. Because when Jesus said in a discussion about who are you, how old are you in, in, in certain contexts with the leaders who did not want to follow him, remember what he said? Before Abraham was, I am. And they were ready to put him to death for blasphemy because they knew to claim to be I am is to claim eternal self-existence. And only God has that. That's right, only God has that. What they weren't grasping yet is God exists in a triune being, and they were rejecting that. So God's eternal self-existence comes through in his name of Jehovah, and then in his name Adonai, Lord, Sovereign, the one, again, as Tyler's saying this morning, rules over all. That's why we magnify him. That's why we answer to him. That's why we say we follow no others. Because he alone is sovereign over his creation. How wonderful and incredible is he? Much more that could be said. But we also look, that's considering the Father. We also considered the Son. Many things that we saw you could say about the Son, that he was the Word of God, according to John. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. But just to refresh us where we were most recently, he is called when he comes down on the white horse, Revelation 19. He's called faithful and true. He's called the Word of God, a name that no man knew. We've already touched on that. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And Satan himself will not be able to stop him when he returns. Remember the nations, prior to his returns, the nations decided to follow Satan. Why? They said, who can, do, who can wage war against the beast? It's like, this guy can't be defeated. And for Jesus, it's like nothing to it. This word that goes out of his mouth, the sharp sword, defeats everything that Satan was trying to do, binds him for a thousand years. Yes, he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's worthy of the worship that we bring him this morning. And then, of course, the third person of that triune being is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God he's referred to. He's referred to as the Spirit of truth. They're referred to as his Spirit. Many other names that he too shares as we looked at all the attributes of God. He shares in the same essence. And so, friends, all that we see around us as we try and comprehend this magnificent world we live in, it's all been created by God. And we're part of that creation. But we saw as we looked at the Word of God together, there's one more thing that is a dimension that is put in there very clearly in the early chapters. It's not just that we were created like the rest of His creation, but we were created in His image in order that we might have fellowship with Him, in order that we might reflect who he is as he rules over the entire universe of his creative power. He was allowing us to be in his image, one, to be in relationship with him, and two, he, was, he gave us the earth to rule over it that we might reflect his image in our rulership over the earth and the power that we had over the earth, created in his image. That's what Scripture reveals. What a magnificent privilege is ours. Except, Scripture further reveals, we decided to be like God ourselves and alienated ourselves from Him. We weren't content because we bought into the lie of the evil one who wasn't content to be a created being. We weren't content just to be a created being. 
When we were told with, his, with the evil one's deception, you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. He said, oh, that would be even better, wouldn't it, than where I'm at right now. And so we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we didn't become as gods. We lost on that bargain. And one of the things we pointed out when we were there is, let's remember this, people, every single time. Every single time. I'll say it again to make sure we haven't missed it. Every single time we buy into the lie of the evil one, the deception of the evil one says, your life will be marketedly improved if you will just follow me into this darkness. We pay a price every time. And if we could just get that straight in our lives, many of us would find that we live in a much better plane immediately. They say, I'm not buying into the deception anymore. But as humankind, we bought into the deception. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we've been on a slide ever since. One of the things that that speaks absolutely against, don't, again, and I'm, I'm thinking so often of our young people, those of you who are in college are going to be approaching college, don't ever buy into a lie that says anything, that man is, is getting better, can get better, will get better. That is not what God has revealed. We're on a slide. We are not ascending. We are broken. And our natural inclination is to continually fall away, walk away, reject, turn our back on the things of God, His righteousness, His goodness, His godliness, even God Himself. Everything that is in us naturally turns and we slide into the pit of self-destruction. We never naturally Pursue God. Not a pretty picture that Scripture reveals, but an accurate one. Judy mentioned the chaos in our world around us. That's the natural man. Watch what the natural man is doing to his fellow man. That is the natural man. That's exactly what you understand was described for us in Genesis chapter 6. Why it got so bad, God had to cleanse the earth because violence filled the earth, and that's where man will always go if you just leave him unrestrained to himself because that's his nature. So the magnificent creator, triune God, worthy to be worshipped, and us turning our back on him, sliding away from him, walking away from him, in rebellion to him, that's the picture of Scripture, but there's one other element, isn't there? And many of you celebrated as we gave thanks this morning. This magnificent triune God is working, is actively working out a plan of redemption for lost mankind. He is actively engaged and calling us back to himself. And each person of the Trinity has a role in that. The Father sent the Son. The Son descends to take on flesh and be our sin-bearer. And the Spirit actively works in our lives to transform us into Christ's likeness. Titus speaks of the washing of regeneration of God's Spirit. And as we considered that, we spent four weeks considering that topic. And I thought, well, you may be getting tired of it here. But there was a reason we spent four weeks on this whole topic of regeneration. It was to drive home the point without question, that the reason we all need what God is doing redemptively 
is that if we don't get transformed, if we don't get regenerated, if we're not remade into God's image, if we continue on broken as we are, we're going to continue on doing the same things we always do. And there's no hope and joy and blessing in that because we can watch what's going on around us. And one of the things that we laid out, because people, as we're trying to understand these things, people have all, I, I shouldn't say different concepts, but they're in different places of understanding what does it mean to be in this place of safety, this place that we would call being saved, having the salvation that the Scriptures speak of. Friends, one of the things we were very clear on, there is no salvation without a regenerating work of God's Spirit in our lives. It has to have occurred. We can kind of get a little goofy on that and think because I walked an aisle, because I said a prayer, because I had water splashed on me, that everything is good. No. No. What matters is have we responded to this offer of God of salvation and Him transforming us by the work of the Holy Spirit through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and we yield ourselves to that and we say, God, make me anew. I have no hope. My hope is in nothing else other than what Christ has done. And He begins a regenerating process that He is committed. He tells us He's committed to bring us back to full Christ-likeness one day. That's why heaven will remain heavenly. And we won't pollute it when we're there because we'll have been remade in Christ's image with no opportunity again for the evil one to come and for us to naturally walk into that. And so the Spirit is doing this regenerating work in our life and He's making us new. What a magnificent study that was. And we saw in that, Jeff, if you'll go to that next one, please. Here's how, we, remember, we illustrated it this way. We illustrated the big gear. If this, is, if this is our life as a whole, the big gear is God's power of His Holy Spirit working in us, doing its transforming work to make us into Christ's likeness. Our task is not to try as Christians, we're going to earn our salvation. I'm going to be good enough to get my salvation. I'm going to teach enough Sunday school lessons. I'm going to go to church often enough. I'm going to give enough money in the special Thanksgiving offering. Then God will receive me. That's all a bunch of nonsense. We have to be regenerated by faith in Jesus Christ. And then what our task is, is the Spirit of God is empowering us to become like Christ. Our task is to mesh up with that. We can try and grind against it. We can butt against it. We can separate ourselves from it. But what God is trying to do is say, look, my spirit is more than glad to do amazing things in transforming you into Christ's likeness, but you're going to have to get in gear with that. And sometimes that's, you know, that's what God is doing when, when we're, we've been here or we've been in the Word or we've been at some conference and we sense God saying, it's time to make some changes in my life. He's saying, you've got to mesh up with what I'm doing here. And you're, going to either, you're either going to submit yourself to get in here and let me transform you, or you're going to find you're going to stay in, a, in this broken state and things aren't going to improve as, as you would like. And so this regenerative work of God's Spirit is an amazing thing. And then what we also saw, and this is we're getting more recent, is that this redemptive work of God is being carried out through history and has a culmination. Again, Tyler sang about that. It has a culmination. And with that... We looked at God's timeline, 
And we saw how way back here in early Genesis, we were created. There was Israel, and then Jesus came, and then there was the church age, which we live in now. And then the church is going to be taken at the rapture. A tribulation of seven period, seven years is going to ensue. Jesus will then return as King of kings and Lord of lords for a thousand years. He will reign at the end of that. The eternal state will be ushered in. And God's redemptive purposes will be fulfilled in history. How magnificent is that? One of the things that we ought not miss, particularly as we're coming at Christmas time, you'll recall in the early chapters, Genesis chapter 3, you'll recall that God promised when Adam and Eve sinned that they would be born to one, the seed of the woman, who would effectively do battle with Satan himself, and Satan would strike his heel, but he would strike Satan's head or crush his head. And so as we consider that was prophesied here, when we come to Christmas, which would be over here, Jesus arriving, ultimately, here's where his heel was struck, remember? When he went to the cross and he died in our place. That was just a strike on the heel. Why? Because he rose three days later. It didn't, it didn't destroy him, but it was a very real battle. So the first part of that prophecy in Genesis was fulfilled here. The next part of that prophecy in Genesis will be fulfilled over here, when Satan will then be vanquished and he will be taken out of the picture. So God's redemptive story gives us insight into our salvation. Here is what he is doing. This is what is revealed in the Word. The next thing that we will note is God's redemptive story gives us insight into our nation. Jeff, if you would, could we see that one verse that we're going to ask to look at today, buddy? This is the only verse that we're going to do. Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. I'll, I, I trust I will never forget a number of years ago, we were blessed to have Dan Youngstrand come and teach us about the biblical and Christian heritage to our nation, one which we are trying to abandon, that's natural man, one which we are trying to avoid, and I'll never forget him pointing out that this is how it is based upon this verse that we have structured our government. You see the three branches of our government there? They're right there, aren't they? The Lord is our judge. We have a supreme court. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's called the House and the Senate. It's Congress. The Lord is our king. We have a, 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 a CEO, an executive. That's the presidency. Huh. It was structured with these things as three co-equal branches of government to allow us then to continue on. Now, we began as a people who, according to our conscience, we could worship God. We were a God-honoring nation, and it has been in an incredible history since then. I believe it has everything to do with how we started out and the, the richness of trying to honor God. I did not say every person who was a founding father was a Christian. Don't leave here and say I said that. But there was a deep acknowledgement of biblical principles and who Jesus Christ was in many, many of those. And there was an understanding that God worked among the nations. So Scripture informed the viewpoints of our founding fathers. We believed... Very critical that rights and freedoms were bestowed by God, not government. And thus they could not be taken away by government. They're called unalienable 
They cannot be separated from us because the government doesn't offer them. In fact, our perspective is the government exists to protect them, protect us from those who would take them from us. So our, fa- our, fa- our founding fathers, they understood there's an inclination in mankind to do evil. That's why they built it this way. Based upon the word, created three co-equal branches of government. And it was this, this, this uh, co-equalness, if you will, that protected our freedoms. And it has worked well for the most part. See, because they understood you don't, put all, you don't put all the power in one place, in one person, in one even small group. You don't do it. Why? Because we can't handle too much power, can we? You've all heard the phrase, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so they broke out the power with what we, you, referred, you were told in eighth grade, at least if you're my age, eighth grade civics classes, checks and balances. Because there's no one person can handle that kind of power and not begin to abuse it over time. And we're seeing it abused right now. And we've seen it abused throughout our entire nation. There's always those who have enough power, they'll start abusing it. Two things you'll do with power all the time if you got it. One, you'll try and get more. And two, you'll abuse it. Sorry, that's how we all are. And that's why there were checks and balances. But there's a second thing then, friend, that we need to come back to as we look at that, as we wrap this up. We need to understand... God's blessed us because we acknowledged him in the beginning of our nation, and that's wonderful, but we also need to understand and come to grasp with how magnificent God truly is because he manages absolute power with perfect righteousness and perfect justice, and he alone is the one being of all beings in existence who is not corrupted by his power. When he brings judgment at the end of the days, it will be judgment made in perfect righteousness and perfect justice. We will bow down and adore him. We will adore his being and we will proclaim his greatness and we will do so with hearts fully open to the reality of who he is because we will then recognize that God alone could do what has taken place, that God alone can handle this kind of power that God alone is God. We are not. We need him. We need his transforming work in our life. And uh, that is the only hope that we or this crazy chaotic world has. And outside of that, it is all darkness because mankind is truly, truly broken. So one last thought, and I promise this is it. I know it's been a long stretch in this series that began with the dedication of this pulpit. There's one thing I have tried to get across that in all of these months we've been looking, the one overriding thing is simply this. How great is our God? How magnificent is this one whom we come to worship and serve? Day by day, week by week, month by month. He alone is to be praised. We give him thanksgiving and adoration this day. And we said we wanted to just change things up a little bit. So rather than closing with a final hymn, uh, Josh, where's he at? I've asked Josh. He's just going to minister to us. Can we do that? Can we just let Josh minister to us in, uh, in our closing hymn here?
His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing. His arms a fortress for the weak. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. I lift my hands to believe again. You are my As I pour out my heart These things I remember You are faithful God Calvary's tree, a fountain for the thirsty. Your grace that washes over me. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. I'm a refuge, you are my strength As I pour out my heart These things I remember You are faithful, God, forever Let faith arise, let faith As I pour out my heart, these things I remember, you are faithful God forever. I lift my eyes to believe again, you are my refuge, you are my strength, as I pour out my Love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is.
failing His arms A fortress for the weak Lord God, we lift you up this morning and we just give you thanks this week. Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you for who you are and how much you love us each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.